Well, praise the Lord, everyone. This is Pastor Kevin O'Connor, and you have tuned in, excuse me, to the Immutable Truth. Uh, We took a week off. We had uh, some stuff to do around the house and some things to do uh, at church. So we took a week off, and we're back. And we got some ammunition, don't we? Uh, Before we get started, I wanted to thank my good friend Josh Eaton. He's the pastor of Cross Point Baptist Church in Caney, Kansas. They had a reforming SEK conference today, and the whole theme of the conference was the church. Uh, There was three topics. uh, Who is the church? Why do we gather? And the pastor's role in the gathered church. It was a awesome experience got to meet a lot of guys that we are friends with on the uh reforming sek uh facebook page so i wanted to give a shout out to all them uh it was a great day great morning rather it was uh, a morning conference but it was very enlightening i i got about five pages worth of notes from it so you may be hearing some of it later on okay but my wife and i are back she's uh back in the studio i'm using air quotes because we don't have a studio but she's back in the studio with me uh she had a few more things that she wanted to talk about on the the compromising church and how modern christianity is compromising and caving and hers is more uh individual folk individually focused right compromising your witness is what she wants to talk to us about uh i have a few things that i want to talk to you about uh it's interesting that we started this process of uh going through a compromising church and a week later the pope came out in support of same-sex unions which is uh unthinkable to me that he would do that but we'll get into more of that in a little bit we want to give my wife carmen a little more uh time to disclose some information that she was talking about and uh, we'll get into what i had to talk about in just a few minutes uh so first want to just kind of get your gist of what you're talking about as far as compromising our witness. Well, I just wanted to go back to follow up to where we were previously and actually defining what compromised is and being compromised. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, compromise means settlement of differences by arbitration or by con- consent reached by mutual concessions. Something intermediate between or blending qualities of two different things. A concession to something derogatory or prejudicial. Did I say it right? You're the theology student. Oh, prejudicial. To find or follow a way between extremes, to make it shameful or disreputable. Disreputable? Yeah. Yeah, that one. Concessions. <laughs> to reveal or expose to an unauthorized person, and especially to an enemy, to cause the impairment of, to expose to suspicion, discredit, or mi- mischief. Right, right. Uh, so that's defining what what word right now compromise. compromise okay well you know that's the idea is we're 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 not only are we compromising us but we're compromising the gospel when we compromise you know what i mean so it, it is a trickle down effect from the individual is that where you're going so we don't only compromise the church us as individually but the gospel itself compromise on one spectrum or another either being harsh and harsh and unkind or being complete opposite oozing with love and compassion either or both tolerating everything and everyone which until can cause us to compromise God's truth all in the name of love and a desire to promote unity we become more conformed to the world's views and perspectives when none of us are exempt to be compromised and a day's Society and expectations are the easiest way to be compromised. We um, face these false expectations that a witness, preacher, i.e. teacher of the gospel, has to be have some kind of formal education 
um, or some kind of degree through theological studies or schools. But I mean, I don't know about you, and I haven't read the Bible as much as you have. <laughs> but <laughs> Jesus's disciples didn't have some kind of degree or certification. Right, right. They learned, served, grew all through observation. And today we have to have titles and claims, but we set this false expectation. Uh, we just say a sinner's prayer of confession, but we don't actually disciple and lead by example through our words and actions, um, actually teaching people that through that they need to grow, otherwise they fail to produce fruit. Right, right. So where you're, what you're talking about is a lot of what I've been talking about, but more on an individ individual level of, uh, first of all, I want to go back to your talking about the theological degree and all this. No, the, the disciples did not have theological school. They didn't go to, you know, hermeneutics class. They didn't go Seminaries. to, uh, you know, seminary or anything like that. But they walked with Jesus, and that's what it's really about. And, you know, going back to what we're talking about is compromising the witness and, and you know, we just say this sinner's prayer and you know unfortunately we've we've taken the sinner's prayer and we've uh made it oh all you got to do is say this prayer we commercialized it yeah we commercialized it we put it on a bumper sticker and we said look if you say this little prayer then you're saved all your you know you're forgiven and it, it doesn't set the right example of an expectation that's set by christ he said if anybody wants to come after me he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me he said he said if anyone would come after me he's got to be willing to deny or renounce all that he is or all that he has to follow me you know but that none of that's in that sinner's prayer you know what i mean all it is is lord i believe in jesus i confess him with my mouth and you know please forgive all my sins in Jesus' name, amen, right? And, and in all of that, we, we said, just this little prayer, that's what's going to save you. In all reality, that prayer doesn't mean anything if it's not truly from my heart, if I haven't truly believed it in my heart, if the Lord himself hasn't revealed himself to my heart, if he hasn't uh, brought my spirit, my soul and my mind unto repentance if the born again experience hasn't happened in my heart then that prayer doesn't mean anything you know what i mean it's just it's just like you seed on the concrete right you got what's that a seed on a concrete it won't grow it won't produce right yeah seed on a concrete on concrete it won't grow and even if it did grow it's not it's not going to have any root in it right didn't jesus tell a parable in luke he said you know there's some seed thrown on the wayside and some on stony ground well the stuff thrown on stony ground it it, it can only go in so deep and because it had no root it just was washed away right and and we think that the born-again experience is just this little sinner's prayer. But Jesus said a man must be born again. He must be changed. There must be a difference. There must be something that happens in him. And if Jesus Christ is in you, then he's a new creation, right? Mm -hmm. So is that what we're talking about when we're talking about compromising our witness? Are we talking about uh, real Christians who are compromising their witness, or are we talking about people who are so-called Christians, or is it a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. Um, I don't know if, you, I mean, you obviously know that recently they had the homecoming parade. There had the school's LGBTQ+. If you don't know what that means, it's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transsexual, queer, questioning, intersex, asexuals, as well as allies. Um, I honestly, I'm gonna say I personally got butt hurt that they were like the front and center of that, but then we don't have the whole story. The other clubs had the opportunity to be in that, but instead of getting butt hurt that they didn't, they were in it. We have all these other clubs that were at the school, like the Christian club. Right. No one right. understands. We have a Christian club. I mean, right. if you want to make a statement, you're not standing there to be a witness and making that statement. You're letting all these other people or make the statement. When they're making the statement, you're getting butt hurt over it. Right, man, you said butt hurt like three times hurt. in the last minute. That was great. Don't be butt hurt, people. Okay, the, so what I'm hearing is 
the the enemy or i hate to say the enemy those who have an opposite view of us those who have a world uh, a world view that is different than the christian world view those who have a world view of this world uh you know the lgbtq people are willing to at least stand up and and stand up for what at least they say they believe or 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 their side of it whereas the christian club the you know, the FCA or any of those never, they didn't even get involved in the parade. Um, I think this goes back to what the church is doing wrong. You know what I mean? As far as, you know, because we're talking about individualistic things. We're talking about, you know, clubs at the at the local high school. You know what I mean? But the church is completely silent on what their view is on things now because we're we'd rather just compromise with the lgbtq community rather than offend somebody and tell them what scripture actually teaches about it and what it says about it you know uh we're more afraid of of hurting people's feelings than we are offending a holy and righteous god who's going to judge us one of these days according to you know what we did we stand up for his word did we stand up for righteousness Did we do the right thing or not right we'll say something is sin individually but as a whole when it's actually happening and we witness it and stuff we don't want to say something because we're afraid we'll offend them and they'll get butt hurt and we'll lose them as a friend or they may not want to be a christian anymore because we said something right but it's right. like you were saying about the pope and stuff i mean like you made a you posted a video earlier today and i, I i've told you about a link that was to it and you changed it and there was a comment saying that it was rude and stuff I mean, I, I have this perspective as you may, if you don't like it or you don't have something nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Right, And I'm right. like, that gets to the point where we just let everything sweep under the rug. And I'm like, if you don't agree with it, you don't have to say something. But if we don't agree with it, we should say something to them. Right. Well, and I think it goes back to, and I'm going to get into what I posted on Facebook earlier because there's two other topics that I want to talk about is uh, the Pope's decision. And then I want to talk about the post that I made to Facebook, the background behind it and the things that uh, entailed into that. You know what I mean? But before we do, I want to keep on the, the line of thinking that you got going on here because it's important for us to understand that the the world, the prince of this world, the the world is going to promote its worldview. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're not ashamed. They're not bashful to to promote their worldview. But somehow, it's become like the eleventh commandment: "Thou shalt not offend anybody." And that's not. Jesus said it's impossible that offense will not come. Paul said anybody who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to suffer persecution. The gospel itself is meant to offend. It's meant to offend the sinner. It's meant to call a sinner to attention to his sin, to who God is, his holiness, and why they need him. But if we take that out of there, then you just got this cuddly, lovey-dovey Jesus that doesn't hold you accountable to sin, doesn't expect you to ch change, doesn't expect you to live holy and righteous lives in this present age, even though that's what Paul wrote Titus and told him, that the grace of God that appeared unto all men has appeared to teach us to deny worldly pleasures, worldly lusts, and to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this present age. But we're so afraid of hurting somebody's feelings because we think that's not loving to make them feel bad. Is that, I mean, do you get that out of people? Like it's not loving to make them feel bad. Correct. And I think we do that, um, and we just bury that in like doctrinal differences claiming it's in unity and love. So we just sweep it under the rug. Right, right. Well, we want unity, but we want unity in the body of Christ. We're not called to be in unity or fellowship with the world. We're called to reach the world, but we're not called to be in fellowship with the world. We're not called to be in unity with the world. Uh, uh, I have a verse that I have outlined here. 
from a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you look in uh, where, yeah, First Corinthians six fourteen through eight, uh, fourteen to eighteen, Paul asks the Corinthian church, "What fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship do we have with the world? We're called to be different. The gospel was offensive." Even in those days, it was offensive to those who weren't in Christ because, first of all, it was foolishness to the Greeks, and it was a stumbling block to the Jew, Paul said. And the, the gospel, if you're going to preach the infallible word of God and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to offend people because the gospel is that I am totally, completely lost depraved, left to my own devices, I would never come to Christ without the grace and the mercy of God to intervene for me because I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was an enemy of God. I was at odds with him. I was his enemy. But even while I was his enemy, Christ went to the cross and died for me. And in coming to him, I have to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. You got the verses pulled up. I can tell you want to I, read them. I, I, I would just because I have to correct you because you said First Corinthians, and it's actually Second Corinthians. Oh, it is. Chapter it is. six, verses fourteen through eighteen. My bad. Where it's warning against idolatry. Right, right. And, and it says, "Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial?" Yeah. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Amen, amen. That, that goes back to my point. We're trying to befriend the world. Now, Jesus was the friend of sinners, right? Mm -hmm. But the difference between what Jesus was doing and what people nowadays are doing is in being a friend of sinners they think they have to become sinners. You know what I mean? They have to They have to go themselves. back to the things that they were doing to get them to come to church or to to feel like they're accepted or we better not talk about drunkenness because that might offend somebody even though scripture Paul says that that it, well in Galatians 5 19 through 21 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, we we're get told that people who do these things, drunkenness being one of them, homosexuality being another one of them, it says anybody who practices these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So why is the church now okaying these things. I mean, this is going to lead into a segue into what we're going to talk about with this whole Pope thing, but the reality is there's no way that we as Christians can can go back and and still practice these things that we know Christ does not want us to do. You know what I mean? I think it's because we compromise because we don't want to say something and make people butt hurt because then they're going to be defensive and want to argue about it. Right, and right. And like you would say, debate. And I'm like, then they have to have some kind of evidence to actually provide that. Right. And that, that would entail them actually reading the scripture and knowing the scripture. Right. But today's household, I mean, everybody's got those big Bibles on the coffee table, but do you know how much dust is on them? Right. We all have cell phones now <laughs> and all kinds of different Bible apps. Right, right. They even got it, you know, in layman's English that anybody can understand, right? I mean, like, uh, it's not a translation as far as I'm concerned, but you got the message Bible even, you know, that parents paraphrases everything in the Bible, right? I mean, look, we're called to reach the world. We're called to love sinners. We're called to, to uh, go out into the highways and the byways and reach people, but we are not called to compromise the gospel. Paul wrote 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, all of his epistles were written to the church so that they would preserve what the gospel is, the gospel truth, and not go away from it, not walk in error, which is going to lead into my second 
point that I'm going to talk about here in just a few minutes after the whole Pope thing, which is kind of both of these are going to be in that nutshell, you know what I mean? Uh, John, in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, he tells us, don't love the world. He said, beloved, do not love the world or the things of the world because the world and its desires are passing away. You know, this is the same book that later on when I when we're talking about these other subjects that we're going to see that John says, beloved, test the spirits. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe it. Read the word of God. You, The gospel is one solid message. The Bible presents Jesus, him crucified. It's all about what Christ did for us. It's all about the redemptive work in Christ. And it's all about us also dying to ourselves and following Christ. But that's so lost in the Christian message today. What do you hear in the Christian message today? I mean, how are they trying to to reach people with the gospel, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, if you ask me, a lot of church services today, a lot of preachers today are just feel-good, inspirational speakers that want to uplift you and build you up and make you feel good. That way you'll want to keep coming back. Right. Nothing about truth and this is wrong and you need to be better and do better and like just take your permanent marker and mark out things in the bible you don't like things right. that don't aren't applicable to you right right and you know we joke about that but in all reality a lot of people do that they'll read something in the scripture and they'll mark it on you know in their mind they're like well that's not really me you know what i mean he's not really talking about me and you know uh the conversation i had on facebook earlier the a pastor's job. Paul wrote Timothy in Second Timothy chapter four. Uh, my our my new friend Brett Baggett, who preached a message today about the pastor's role in the gathered church, he, he preached on something that that I preached on here before. A pastor's role is to reprove, rebu- rebuke, and to exhort. I repute, uh, reproof is for the mind. You're, you're reproving those thoughts and the, the inclinations that people have about Scripture, and you're, you're making sure they have a right understanding of what Christ or what the gospel is teaching. And then you rebuke whatever behavior that's going on, and then you exhort them to follow the Word of God, to follow Christ, to follow the example that we have in the Word of God. So the pastor's job is to reprove, rebuke, and correct or exhort, or, you know, uh, a better word for it is, uh, um, what is a better word for exhort? I guess it would be to, uh, uh, let me look at my notes. I'm going to steal Brett's, I'm going to steal Brett's stuff. Encourage, that's it, is to encourage. We want encouragement in the church, but you can't have just encouragement. You know what I mean? You need reproof. You need rebuke. You need those things so that the people of God know what's right and acceptable and and, and noteworthy in following Christ. You know? Are, are you looking up a definition? I was. But okay. I, was <laughs> I, I said it. Did I sound and say it pretty much what you've. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to get that out there. A pastor's job is not just to, to tell you encouragement, it's not just to pat you on the back. He can't tell you, you know, here's. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop our conversation and go back to 1 Corinthians 13 for a minute, okay? Love is patient and kind. Right? Mm-hmm. Let, let's, let's open it. I want to read this because everybody says that it's unloving to offend people. You know what I mean? They act like it's unloving. You're not supposed to offend people. They might get mad and never come back. Well, first of all, you're not called to build a church. Christ is going to build the church. You know, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. We're called to preach the truth of God's word. And people say, well, it, it, you know, you're pointing out their sin. That's, you're just being judgmental. You're not loving them. No, the unloving thing would be to lie to them and allow them to openly walk in sin that can be avoided. Doesn't it say somewhere that if you see your brother at fault or in sin that you should go with them in love and tell them? And if they don't listen, to take someone else and then ultimately 
Take right, it to the church? Right, right. You know, church discipline is something that's like doesn't happen anymore, right? I mean, we need church discipline, though. We need to be able to look at somebody, in and pastors included, we need to look at them and say, what are you teaching? Is that really scriptural? What What are you, how are you living? Is that really scriptural? We need to be doing that, but we don't because we're afraid to offend people. And, you know, we talked before about uh, Matthew 7, where he says, judge not, lest you be judged, right? Well, and they just want to leave it right there. Right. But go ahead, go but, ahead. But then they think, well, they might get offended or their view and perspective of me might change. When ultimately, it's not just you individually, the church as a whole, but the gospel itself. Right, right. Because my personal compromise hurts my witness. And then if I'm if I'm got a sphere of influence around me, those people who I have now affected are going to be affected and could affect other people. And it's not just me that's being affected, but the gospel message itself that's being uh, blasphemed betrayed. or betrayed. Right. Betrayed is a better word, I think. But I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 13 because this is a very important part of Scripture because people say it's unloving to point out when somebody is in error, when somebody is in sin. It says this, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, as much as love is compassion and caring, it is also a part of love that love can't look at you in your sin and say, your sin is okay. You know what I mean? Love can't rejoice in your wrongdoing. So love would have to tell you the truth. That's why Paul tells us later that we're to speak the truth in love amen mm -hmm. so that people know look the most unloving thing i could do to a fellow pastor is hear him preach some heresy online and for for millions of people to watch all over facebook you know and for me to to just scroll past it and not say anything you know what i mean that that's the most unloving thing because millions of people could be led away into false teaching false doctrine paul it was so important to paul that the gospel stays pure that he said in galatians 1 and 8 that if we if i or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel uh, let him be accursed. There's only one gospel. There's only one truth in God's word. It's not subjective. It's not, uh, 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 you know, it might mean something for me and something else for you. It is very objective. And God said what he said and has a purpose behind, behind everything that he said. And we've got to be willing to teach everything in scripture. Yes, love is. I am to love my neighbor, but loving my neighbor is more than just don't steal from him. It is also, hey, don't let your neighbor run out there in the middle of the street and get hit by a car if you can avoid it, right? And that's what's happening with these false teachings, these false gospels, these uh, churches where we're compromising. Fellow believers who say they love each other are allowing each other to walk headlong into traffic as it were headlong into sin headlong into error without saying a word because i don't want to offend them right mm -hmm. the the reality is grace is what saves us grace is what keeps us right jesus said anybody that's in my father's hand is not going to be taken out he said this is the will of god that all who the father has given me will be kept right we understand that we're not going to affect uh that eternal destiny of someone in that manner god even if i offended somebody god is going to use that offense to draw them back to himself you know what i mean now i'm not saying to go out and be the next you know super pharisee and criticize everything everybody's doing you know what i mean and you have to be wise when you're doing this 
if you're going to correct somebody, first of all, make sure you get the log out of your eye, right? Make sure you understand what Scripture's saying. Make sure you're coming at it with an attitude of love and grace. And Paul says that we're to do it with the understanding that we're trying to win them back to the truth. Amen? So the goal isn't just to tell them they're wrong, but the goal is to get them to think about why they're wrong and then search the Scriptures, pray, ask God to help you. You know, there's a way to, to talk to people about what they're doing or what they're saying, but we don't want to become Pharisees at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the that's the fear. My right? thing is that I'm just gonna say like our motto: love God, love people. But love that compromises cardinal truth is not biblical love. Come on, come on, man! You sound like a preacher's wife. You know that? Yeah, love cannot just okay sin. You know what I mean? Love can't okay compromise. You know? Uh, uh, now we do this personally, right? Like it starts there every time, doesn't it? Right. I mean, and my thing is a witness. I mean, we want to be a witness, but it's just when it's convenient for us. And then we try to put it as a world's perspective. Well, if we're going by the world's perspective, do you know there's actual different types of witnesses? Right. Especially in the um, judicial system and stuff, like an eyewitness. Um, that's one who's either seen or alleged, um, alleged crime or part of a crime and will bring his or her observation testimony of that crime to a hearing. Whereas an expert witness is a witness who is an expert or maintains superior knowledge over the average person as it relates to a topic that they are asked to testify about. Whereas there's also a character witness who is one who will speak for the reputation or the character of a person who is usually in the community where that witness lives. The character witness usually appears in a hearing to say the defendant is a good person or has qualities that put them above the accusation being made. This type of testimony is usually valuable when the defendant's honesty or morality is in question. Often something comes up in case of fraud or things like that. But they also have to understand the reliability of witness accounts. Go ahead. They may have personal bias. They might have the wrong timing. They might describe something incorrectly. Right, right. They might have a habit that has influenced them to see or believe something happened differently than it actually did. I mean, you're my brother, so I love you. I can't say it's wrong for you, but I'll tell someone else it's wrong for them. Right, right, right. It's really important for us to not show favoritism in dealing out that kind of talk. Which is why when you are going to somebody, you're not going to them because your character is better. You're not going to them because you're some kind of superior witness to them. You know what I mean? You're going to them with the only thing that we have that qualifies us to talk to anybody about sin, and that's God's Word. I'm not coming to you telling you, hey, I'm perfect, I got it together, and you need to do what I do. I'm coming to you and telling you, this is what God's Word says, and we should all strive to live our life by God's Word. Whether I hit the mark all the time or not is irrelevant. You know what I mean? Yeah, the goal doesn't change. The goal doesn't change. And I don't, you know, even even if, even if you know, I walked out the door and stubbed my toe and started cursing like a sailor it's one thing for me to 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 do that and then not think anything of it and it's another thing to do it and then go oh man i messed up you know what i mean understanding that that kind of language is not what god wants you know what i mean and i think that's where we're at in this conversation of compromise there's those who 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 mess up who fall short but they don't, they don't try to say that their shortcomings are okay. They don't try to justify their sin. They don't try to say it's all right. In other words, they're not saying good's evil and evil's good, you know. But on the other hand, when you have people who are supposedly believers in Christ and supposedly have, a, a, you know, the born-again, regenerate, experience saying that this sin is okay and that sin is okay 
even though it goes directly against God's word, that's where we're really walking in error, I think. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because none of us are perfect, right? I mean, and I'm not trying to promote some kind of uh, salvation by works. I'm talking about evidence of salvation. I'm talking about the fruit that comes from the born-again experience that changes us, changes the first thing that ought to change. Romans... Uh, I believe it's Romans 12. Let's look at Romans 12 real quick. I'm going to turn my Bible there. So if you hear pages flipping, it's just because we got this fancy microphone that picks everything up. Uh, Romans 12 and 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The, the reality is that I'm not to conform to the pattern of this world. In Christ, I'm supposed to be a new creature. Now, it's not going to happen all at once, but my idea, my thought process towards sin has got to change. What I thought was acceptable before salvation, I cannot think that's acceptable now. You know what I mean? What what Paul, when he was talking in, uh, where is that again? Let's, let's turn there. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to turn to Galatians 5. Uh, he says this. Uh, verse 19 through 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, impurity, uh, rivalries, dis, uh, yeah, Desensuality, idolatry, sorcery, emulated, uh, dissensions, excuse me, divisions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He said, I warned you and I warned you before, as I warned you before, and those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he's saying people that are doing these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, says this. If I can find it, starting at verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So the, the, the born-again experience is supposed to change you from those things to something else. You know what I mean? That's not to say you won't struggle with wanting a drink. That's not to say you won't struggle with a, 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 an old sin, but your idea, your thought process, your behavior has got to change. Even if it ain't all at once, it starts with getting the idea that sin is sin, right? And, and we're so worried about offending people that we'll allow them to walk in sin that Paul says people who do these things won't inherit the kingdom of God, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, that's where I was. That's where I was going after your conversation because it starts with that personal stuff. You know what I mean? It starts with our witness. It, it starts with me compromising my own prayer time. It starts with me compromising my own reading of my word. You know, reading reading the scriptures on my own, meditating on them. It, it starts with me not wanting to go to Bible study or or or, or you know, being, things that come out of habit because we don't continuously practice it. Right. Well, the thing the thing is, if we want to create good habits in the Lord, we need to do the things that Paul said to do. You know what I mean? He's he's writing us to encourage us to to read, to pray. You know, Paul and the the other apostles, they said we're gonna dedicate ourselves to prayer and studying the scriptures, right? 
Every Christian ought to do that. When, when Paul and Barnabas showed up in Berea, they preached the gospel, and those Jews there got their Bibles out and for two days searched the scriptures to make sure what they were told was accurate. You know what I mean? Nowadays, Christians just believe whatever. We all have mental health issues and stuff. And I need a pill for this. Or I need a pill for that versus just opening the Bible and we have everything we need there. Right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to wrap it up a little bit. Uh, you just want to talk about the Pope. Well, I just want to get to these other two topics real quick. Uh, because they do pertain to what we're talking about, compromising church, right? right. What, what, how are we, you know, there's just so many different ways the church is compromising right now. And to have the Pope, the leader of the Catholic Church, okay, uh, the, the vicar of the Catholic Church, the, the great apostolic leader, leader of the catholic faith who is supposed to be descended you know the apostolic leadership has come from from the apostles supposedly right and all those that don't know all those fancy words and stuff it's just someone of influence is what right, guys right. like to say <laughs> right right well the the pope the, the the doctrine of the catholic church has consistently been against homosexual lifestyle it has consistently been against gay marriage and it's for various reasons none of which are any less important than first corinthians chapter 6 9 through 10 what i just read where he said that those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of god it says you used to be or you were one of those he says such as were some of you were being the past tense of that statement i don't understand how the pope as a i know the pope knows scripture better than i do okay and i even in my limited understanding of what the scriptures say my limited protestant pastoral pastoral view of the scriptures it is clear that the scriptures are they teach that homosexuality is a sin and that those who do those things, not who used to do them, but those who practice them openly and believe they're okay, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't understand the, the reasoning behind it. And if I was a devout Catholic, I would be shaken to the core to think that the leader of our church just made this kind of declaration. You know what I mean? Think about the ramifications of the many millions of Catholics in the world right now that that are probably tore up and 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 hurt over this. Now I know that the LGBTQ people who believe that they can be a, 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 a Christian and still be a practicing homosexual are jumping up and down, but the reality is you can't be a Christian and thoroughly believe that homosexuality is okay. There's no way. There's too much evidence in the Old Testament and the New Testament that teach us that this is wrong. You know what I mean? You think he's putting it anywhere in his fine print that's saying, it's okay for you to do this. It's acceptable now, but you won't inherit the kingdom of earth or kingdom, kingdom of heaven. Of God. Right, right. Well, the, the thing is, what people read and this is going back to this this heresy of disassociation, what I'm going to call it. It's 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 Kevin's quantified term. If you guys want to coin this phrase, uh, the, it's it's the heresy of disassociation. They're saying they're saying, yeah, that's wrong, but not for me. And then other people are just saying outrightly, no, it's not wrong. As a matter of fact, there's a, a Lutheran minister. I won't mention her name. That says that same-sex unions are holy and says that one night stands between same-sex people is holy because she takes the word holy and she redefines it and it doesn't have anything to do with god doesn't have anything to do with the standard that god set it just simply means fellowship but that's not what the word holy means okay holy is set apart 
Because I'm like, so that's the case, aren't we all ultimately sing the song, holy, holy, holy? <laughs> right, right. Well, the, the, the reality is that we can't take something that God calls evil and call it good. Isaiah says, woe unto you who call evil good and good evil. Now, when he's saying woe, he's pronouncing a woe, a curse on those who say those things. You know what I mean? And we're told by Christ, if anybody teaches someone to break a commandment, you know, he, he said woe to them that do that, you right. know. Well, even ultimately, even if you, the sinner, do it, it'd be on you. But the person that's tells you that it's okay, won't it ultimately be on them also? Yeah, right, right. The person that does the sin is going to be responsible for their self doing the sin. But those who teach them and tell them it's okay are also going to give an account for teaching that. Pastors, preachers need to be held accountable for what they say because the reality is which is going to lead me in my next point okay uh we're gonna we're gonna transition into my next post or my next point i want you guys to know what happened so i'm going to tell the story uh back in march kenneth copeland got on uh tv it's all over the internet people seen it this is not a secret and he commanded COVID-19 to be uh, to burn up, to disappear, to not be anymore. And it wasn't like he was praying for it. His exact words were, I stand in the office of a prophet and I declare in the name of God that COVID-19 will disappear and it will be no more. It will burn up. He, he even, you know, there's a, there's a rap of this that's going around. It's called the wind of God, okay? And he blew the wind or the breath of God at COVID-19 to destroy it. And he said, it is done. That was in March. Right. Well, that goes back to being a witness. I'm like, people hear this and I'm like, COVID still 19 is still here. You don't know. Right. And I'm like, more of it, more now than before. And I'm like, they're going to see that. That didn't happen. And he said, because he's speaking on behalf of God, they're going to like, well, that's what church is about. That's what God's about. Right. I don't want to be a Christian. Right. Well, here's the thing. And I got some backlash about this post. Okay. I got some backlash about it. And I'm pulling it up right now so you guys can can know what I posted. I'm going to read it to you word for word. It's on my Facebook page. I, I posted this, and there's a link even to the the Kenneth Copeland uh, uh, declaration where he was executing judgment on COVID-19, okay? Uh, if you Google judgment is executed on COVID-19 by Kenneth Copeland, you will find this video, okay? Now, I posted this video link on Facebook and I put Kenneth Copeland was supposed to have gotten rid of COVID-19 a few months ago. I took down uh, a previous video that I had put up because there was some explicitives that I didn't see at the bottom of the link. So I found a new link to post this. I said, now with that said, I still stand by my statement. <laughs> and my statement was this, it's now that we see COVID-19 looked at Kenneth Copeland and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Three smiley faces laughing with two tornadoes right after it, okay? I just posted that original post because I thought it was hilarious, okay? Now, after that, I posted in, in this same message that Kenneth Copeland is not a prophet, nor does he stand in the office of a prophet. Hence, his declaration was null and void. Well, I had some people get on there and, you know, uh, say, well, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You're not, you know, you're being mean to Kenneth Copeland. And, you know, he's just uh, stepping out in faith and he's praying to God to do this. And I, and I had to stop him, first of all. Deuteronomy 18, 20. Uh, through 22. I want to go there in my Bible so I don't mess this all up. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 18, verse 20 is where we're going to start reading. Is that the ESV? Yeah, it's in. I'm reading out of the ESV. I'm sorry. Uh, Rome, or yeah, 
Deuteronomy 18, verse 20 says this, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, the same prophet shall die. If you say in your heart, How may we know that a word from the Lord has has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the lord if the word does not come to pass or come true that is a word that the lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you need to be and you need not be afraid of him this is where i'm going nowhere in uh, Kenneth Copeland's video, and you can go and watch it, does he say, Lord, we're praying that you would help uh, get rid of COVID-19. We beseech you. We're praying for you to intercede in, in our, on our behalf. No, that's not what Kenneth Copeland said. If he said that, I would wholeheartedly agree with that kind of prayer. That is not what was said. He was standing in his own words. He said, I stand in the office of a prophet and I declare in the name of God that COVID-19 is going to be gone. Now, this is how you weigh prophets according to Deuteronomy. If it comes to pass, then he was true. If it doesn't, he was a liar and it's not true. Amen. Uh, so, so we, you know, and, and for me to to know that he said that, and then to 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 not say something would be ridiculous anyway. Not to mention that this happened in March. Okay, this was back in March. So I, I'm bad at math. So I'm gonna count on my fingers. Okay, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. That's seven months ago. Okay, COVID nineteen still here. The word was said, it happened, it was done right now, it's finished. That's what he said, okay? You can be mad at me, you can say, you're just being mean, but the reality is when somebody prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass, it's our obligation to point it out because we don't want people believing a false word from God. Kenneth Copeland was not speaking on God's behalf. Otherwise, it would have happened. The reality is, every time God spoke in the Bible, he spoke and it happened. If it don't happen, it's not from God. So I'm sorry, if you thought that was from God, you were deceived because the word that Kenneth Copeland gave did not come true. You can scratch it off your list. You can ignore him. You know, we're told in the New Testament there's three ways that we handle false teaching, false prophets in the New Testament. And calling them out on Facebook is not a cardinal sin. It's much less extreme than what we just read in Deuteronomy 18, where he tells us, oh, the prophet that prophesies a false word should die, right? What do you, what do you think's worse? Death or me calling a brother in Christ out? And saying, hey, you were wrong, and you need to repent and, 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 and tell us that that wasn't a word from God, right? right. Uh, so that's what happened. That was the post. And there, you know, uh, had one person say, you know, this guy was somebody who just stepped out in faith and tried to uh, bring about kingdom power into a dark situation. That is where most people error in this new age, and I'm saying it that way, new age Christian movement, because they think that they're God. They think that they, by themselves, without a word from God, without the unction of God, without God directing you to say something, you think that you can speak it into existence without God telling you to. The reality is the reason that this prophecy did not come to pass was not because it was inhibited by some outside force. 
it was inhibited from the very beginning because it was not a word from God. It was not directed by God to be said. Therefore, it did not carry the weight of God's word. It was Kenneth Copeland's word, not God's. Therefore, it fell short, did not come to pass because God did not say it. That's what scripture says. You can believe all the hokey New Age stuff that you want. Well, actually, I don't want you to. But if you're going to, you can. I can't stop you. But the reality of Scripture is Kenneth Copeland was not operating in the office of a prophet. Kenneth Copeland's word did not come to pass. Therefore, he's a liar and needs to repent of speaking a false word out there. Now, here's my last thing, okay? The, the, the verses in Deuteronomy, I want to read this to you one more time because this is the part that I had the biggest issue with. And my wife, she's being really quiet right now, but I want to see if she agrees with me on this point. Now, let's read this again. Verse 20, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in the name of God... If a, word, if a prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks a, in the name of another God, the same prophet shall die. He says, if a prophet presumes to speak in my name, do we not understand God, his name is so holy. His, who he is is so holy. He's not going to just share that with anybody. You know, the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And that's not just saying it as a cuss word. Right. That's the, what Kenneth Copeland did is on par with taking God's name in vain because he said he, said he was speaking in God's name as a prophet of God for God. A prophet declares God's word. This is important. This is like heresy this is this is uh, 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 blasphemy that he is declaring God's word and it doesn't come to pass and then people get mad at me because I called Kenneth Copeland out for blaspheming the name of God so what I hear is the 11th commandment is now thou shalt not talk about other preachers even if they're wrong. I mean, it's wrong of me to call Kenneth Copeland out for a false prophetic word, but it's okay for Kenneth Copeland to blaspheme the name of God, say he's speaking in God's name, and prophesy something that does not come to pass. That's all okay, but I can't say because anything. Because someone that's not a Christian is not ultimately going to blame him. They're going to blame God because he said on behalf of God. Right, that right. back down to individual witness and being compromised. Right. Well, that's the thing. We have to, we are held accountable for what we say as as Christians. First of all, every Christian is going to give an account for every idle word Jesus said, right? But pastors, elders in the church are going to be held to a higher standard and it's more important for me to stand up to someone like Kenneth Copeland because of the stage that he has because of the amount of people platform. who hear him his platform when he's saying something off many more millions of people are affected than anywhere like if I was to get on here which you know I got like 50 people who even listen to this but if I got on here and said some crazy nonsense like that the effect is going to be much less but the sin is still going to be just as great you know what I mean the offense is to God because I am saying that I'm speaking on God's behalf even when I'm not so that that's where I went with it, and I cleared it up with the people on Facebook. I told them, you know, and I got a whole page here, and I might take a a, a, a photo of it and post it on our Facebook page uh, of you know Jesus telling us to be aware, be 
beware of false prophets. We're told to avoid false prophets. And we're also told to rebuke them openly. You know, we, we can't let them hide behind their name. We don't care if their name is Kenneth Copeland or, or, or whoever else you can think of. If they say something that is not biblical, if they try to act like or attain an office that's not theirs to speak on God's behalf, it is our obligation to say something. Amen? Amen. So I want to wrap this up. I know this is more than you probably expected for us to get into. It's uh, Carmen still didn't get a word in, word in edgewise, uh, but we wanted to uh, to get this out there. Number one, we're going to continue talking about these compromises that the church is making. The church has got to stop compromising, has got to start standing, relying on the Word of God. Sola Scriptura, according to Scripture alone. That's what the, that's the motto that we need to be standing on. I don't know if anybody knows this, but Reformation uh, Day is coming up, you know, uh, October 31st. Uh, the Reformation started where where Martin Luther stood up and started calling out the different teachings and heresies that were in the church at the time. And we as Christians, I think the Reformation needs to begin again where we start calling these heresies out and really stand on what the Word of God teaches and not what we think. Well, our time is up. We're already right at an hour. I don't want to go much longer than that. No, most people probably aren't even listening now, okay? But I want to encourage you to keep following our Immutable Truth podcast. Go to our uh, Facebook page, like it. Go to the church page, Agape Fellowship uh, Church. It was Agape FC 17 on Facebook. If you search that, you'll find us. Uh, like our page and if you want to support us there's plenty of ways on our church website and, and things to do that but we wanted to uh, get this uh, this one was really important to me to get these discussions out there and if you like this like our page let us know give us some feedback and uh, until then stay true to your Stay true to Christ, stay true to the Word of God, and remember, the truth of God is unchanging. That's why we call this podcast The Immutable Truth. Amen? Mm -hmm. God bless you, friends.